0: This is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, June 1st, 2010. This week, I have six topics to cover. First, the extenders. I want to give you an update as to what Congress did and didn't do. Uh, next, I have a report from the Federal Housing Finance Agency, FHFA, and it's a report on Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the federal home loan banks. Third, the Government Accountability Office, or GAO. Uh, issued a report on the Recovery Act results so far. Fourth, the IRS released an audit guide for the New Market Tax Credit Program, give you some sense of what is in that. Fifth, there's historic preservation activity in Pennsylvania. Two interesting reports came out, so I'll give you some insights on what those reports included. And then uh, sixth, information on what's happening in the month of June in the tax credit community. Before I get started, though, I did want to let everyone know that today the the CDFI Fund, Community Development Financial Institutions Fund, released their monthly NMTC Qualified Equity Investment Report. This report summarizes the amount of remaining new market tax credit allocation. The report shows that there was $26 billion in total allocations in the first seven rounds, And of that $26 billion, $16.6 billion has been finalized. $300 million has been committed. That means there's $9 billion of allocation remaining. A large portion of the $9 billion is reserved for particular investments, but there is $9 billion out there where QEIs have not been issued and they aren't formally committed yet. With that as background, let's jump into the extenders update. On Friday, May 28th, the House of Representatives passed H.R. 4213, which doesn't actually have extenders in its name anymore. It's entitled the American Jobs and Closing Tax Loopholes Act, but it did include the extender provisions. After passing the bill, the Senate and the House both went on recess, or I should say, their district and state work periods, and they return back to Washington, D.C. on June 7th. Uh, we expect at that point the Senate to take up the extenders bill. However, we do expect the Senate to have amendments, and we expect that some of those amendments will be adopted. So current expectations are that the bill will have to make its way back to the House for another vote, because until the Senate and the House vote on the same bill with the same language, with no differences in words, it can't go to the President to become law. So what are the key provisions that are in the Extender's Bill? The Extender's Bill includes a one-year extension of the 1602 Long-Term Housing Tax credit cash-grant exchange program. Now, it is being done a little bit differently if you actually read the statutory language in that it's now a refundable tax credit to state allocating agencies uh, as opposed to a cash-grant exchange program. And the difference is due to the need for cash-grant exchange programs to get an appropriation and the ability of the tax-writing committees on their own to do a refundable tax credit. So it will be a bit of a unique animal in that it's a refundable tax credit to a government agency that actually doesn't pay taxes. But that is what it is, and it's expected to operate pretty similarly to to the way the existing cash grant exchange program operates. Next, the Extenders Bill does have a one-year extension of the New Market Tax Credit program, and that is the program, the extension I mean, that the existing allocation application round is applying for. So the existing application allocation round that, where the applications are due tomorrow uh, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern time, those applications are based upon the belief and the expectation that, this, that the New Market Tax Credit will get extended. In addition, uh, the bill would allow the New Market Tax Credit to offset the Alternative Minimum Tax, or AMT, with respect to investments made between March 15, 2010 and January 1, 2012. And as I've mentioned before, to the extent that the New Market Tax Credit can offset the alternative minimum tax, and to the extent that the New Market Tax Credit is considered a portfolio tax credit under the passive Activity Rules, then you might see more individuals investing in New Market Tax Credit transactions. The Extenders Bill also includes a billion dollars in funding for the National Housing Trust Fund. Uh, The National Housing Trust Fund was created back in 2008 by the Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008. However, it was initially to be funded by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Uh, However, that funding was conditioned upon their uh, viability. And since their financial viability obviously uh, went into question, they were not uh, required to make any payments to the Housing Trust Fund. So it's been looking for a source of funds. And now this extenders bill would provide a billion dollars. It does also have an additional $65 million for project-based vouchers. Uh, going to the Gulf Opportunity of GoZone, there is a provision uh, in the extenders where the two-year place and service date for Gulf Opportunity Zone, LHTCs have to get place and service by. So that two-year extension of the place and service date for GoZone credits is in there. There's also a provision that extends for one year, the 50% depreciation That's allowed for the first year of properties placed in service for properties in disaster areas. And then there's also in the bill a provision that allows go-zone properties or properties located in the Gulf Opportunity Zone to claim a higher rehabilitation tax credit. That's an extension through the end of 2010. The key, I should say the largest and the key, revenue raiser or revenue offset in the bill continues to be taxation of carried interests. The latest estimates are that the taxation of carried interest will generate about $18 billion in tax revenue over 10 years. They did alter the effective date for parts of the carried interest legislation to 1231, 2010 So we do expect there to be a lot of tax planning in 2010 uh, to the extent that the carried interest legislation does eventually pass. There has been no carve-out of any industries as much as many industries have tried to get a carve-out, none the le- least venture capital and real estate. We do wonder during this district work period or recess, as Congress members are lobbied by constituents with respect to carve-outs and carried interest, we're interesting to see how the Senate addresses the carried interest legislation when they do get back in session next week. What's not in the bill? The bill does not include credit exchange for 4% tax credits. Uh, The 4% proposal, though, continues to remain popular among a number of members of Congress, and there is some hope that Senator Cantwell would offer it as an amendment to any upcoming Senate jobs tax bill, if there is a Senate jobs tax bill. And then similarly, in the House, they've already passed the version of this proposal that was in the House small business jobs bill. So to the extent that the Senate doesn't include it in a future jobs bill, the House might seek in conference to get it in a future jobs tax bill. Of course both of these approaches depend upon there being a future jobs tax bill and it remains uh, in doubt whether or not there actually will be one. Similarly if there is uh, another jobs tax bill there are efforts by Senator Bingaman to modify one of the provisions being discussed in the jobs bill. And the, one of the provisions being discussed in the jobs bill is a tax credit carryback for five years for small businesses. And there's an effort to modify that provision slightly so that the long-term tax credit five-year carryback proposal can be adopted. So we are hopeful, uh, but we have to wait and see what Congress uh, does, as well as continue to uh, share with members of Congress our views on these proposals. So the next steps, the Senate's back in session next week. And then the Senate will take up the extender's bill, and then we'll wait and see what modifications are there, and then we'll see after that how the House handles it. If you want to keep track of this more than weekly, you can keep track of the status of the extender's bill weekly through the podcast, but you also can follow me on Twitter, and I give daily, sometimes hourly updates on Twitter, uh, and just go to Twitter and search Novogratic, and you'll find me. So that's what I have for extenders for this week. Uh, Next, I wanted to give a brief summary of a Federal Housing Finance Agency, or FHFA, report. It's their second report to Congress that details findings of the agency's 2009 annual examinations of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the 12 federal home loan banks and the Office of Finance, commonly referred to as government-sponsored enterprises, or uh, GSEs. Uh, The report details the home affordable Modification Program, or HAMP, and also provides details on the Home Affordable Refinance Program, or HARP. And then, furthermore, it includes an analysis of compensation of all the Federal Home Loan Bank Directors, and housing emission goals and information for all 14 government-sponsored enterprises. Uh, The FHFA reports uh, does say that throughout 2009, each company remained active in supporting the secondary mortgage market And they noted that together, the government-sponsored enterprises' mortgage purchase and guarantee activity represented more than 76% of total single-family originations. So more than 75% of the market of single-family originations uh, were supported by the government-sponsored enterprises. Uh, The report concluded that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac both remained critical supervisory concerns in 2009, It also noted that the GSEs more broadly continued to play a key role in providing liquidity and stability to the mortgage market, as well as carrying out foreclosure prevention efforts in 2009. The report also noted that the 2009 financial condition and performance of half of the 12 federal home loan banks are less than adequate. Their financial condition and performance are less than adequate due in part to investments that they made in private label mortgage-backed securities, the report also noted that the Seattle Federal Home Loan Bank was deemed undercapitalized. Now, in related news, Congressman Paul Kanjorski, who's the chairman of the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Capital Markets, Insurance, and Government Sponsored Enterprises, did announce last week that he'll convene a series of hearings on the future of the housing finance system. The first hearing was held on Wednesday, May 26th. That hearing focused on the work of the FHFA and the condition of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the Federal Home Loan Banks. Future hearings are expected to explore important issues like the role and regulation of mortgage insurance, the housing finance systems of other countries, as well as the structure and function of guarantee fees. So in conclusion, a copy of the FHFA report can be found online at www.taxcredithousing.com. Simply click on Hot Topics on the News menu and then choose the link called GSE conservatorship. And also there will be a related discussion about the future of housing finance in the May issue of the Novigradic Journal of Tax Credits. The discussion is going to be part of the monthly feature, The Buzz, which is written by Buzz Roberts of LISC. So moving on to our third topic, the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, published a report about states and localities' use of Recovery Act funds. The GAO reports that as of May 7, 2010, about $115 billion, or just over 40% of more than $280 billion of Total Recovery Act funds that were designated for programs administered by state and localities had been paid out by the federal government. So more than 40% of $282 billion has been paid out. Among a number of other Recovery Act provisions uh, that the GAO reported on were the Public Housing Capital Fund, the Tax Credit Assistance Program, or TCAP, and the Section 1602 Long Housing Tax Credit Cash Grant Program. Some of the highlights of the report were that the GAO noted that housing agencies had met the March 17, 2010 deadline, where they had to obligate, reject, or return a portion of the $3 billion in formula grants that were available under the Public Housing Capital Fund. The GAO also says that as of May first, 2010, agencies had drawn down about $1 billion of the $3 billion of these funds, and the money is being used for such things as replacing roofs or windows and things of that nature. Now HUD is reviewing obligations that were made just before the deadline to see if any of those obligations should be recaptured. HUD plans to redistribute any recapture return funds later this summer. Also... As of April 30th, 2010, HUD had committed $2.25 billion for TCAP, which was the uh, appropriated amount, and they had also obligated $5.45 billion for the Section 1602 Cash Grant Exchange Program. So that means there's over $7.5 billion that's been uh, committed for affordable housing in the form of cash grants through TCAP and the Section 1602 Program. The GAO also reported that state housing finance agencies, or HFAs, have expressed concerns about their obligation to recapture program funds for non-compliant projects. They also expressed concerns about the restriction on using 1602 program funds as interest-bearing and repayable loans. In the report, the GAO recommended that Treasury define the actions that HFAs must take to recapture funds And then they also suggested that Congress should consider directing Treasury to allow HFAs to disperse funds as interest-bearing repayable loans. Of interest, the GA report says that Treasury Department actually agrees with the suggestion uh, that Congress consider directing Treasury to permit HFAs to disperse funds as interest-bearing repayable loans. If you want to see the actual report itself, just go to www.taxradahousing.com. Moving on to our fourth topic, IRS Audit Guide. The Internal Revenue Service released an Audit Guide for the New Market Tax Credit Program on May 26th. Uh, The Audit Guide can be found online at www.NewMarketsCredits.com. The Guide is used to provide guidance to IRS Revenue Agents in in terms of how to conduct an audit of a tax return that includes New Market Tax Credits. The Guide has six chapters six chapters are an overview of the New Market Tax Credit Program, a chapter on the techniques for auditing a community development entity or a CDE, the third is a chapter on techniques for auditing investors in New Market Tax Credits, fourth there's a chapter on issues related to not-for-profit entities, fifth there's a chapter on the disclosure of tax information, and then sixth there's a chapter on how the report should be written by the IRS agent. Now the Novigradic NMTC Working Group has previously submitted comments on a draft of the Audit Guide and we're now in the process of reviewing the Audit Guide to see what portions of our comments were adopted, what portions weren't, as well as what new matters or new comments we will have. And then we'll be submitting additional comments to the IRS with respect to this guide. To the extent that you identify issues with the NMTC Audit Guide, please send us an email you can send it to Novaco.com, or you can send it directly to my partner, Brad Elphick, which is brad.elphick, bradelphick, at novaco.com. The contents of the newly published guide will be discussed at the New Market Tax Credit Working Group's next meeting, which is being held in conjunction with Novigradic's ninth Annual New Market Tax Credit Spring Conference. That's June 10th and 11th in Washington, D.C. To learn more about the New Market Tax Credit Working Group or our Spring Conference on New Market Tax Credits, please go to 415-356-7970. That's called 415-356-7970. Moving on to our fifth topic, historic preservation investment in Pennsylvania. A group called Pennsylvania Works, along with Preservation Pennsylvania, State Senator David Argall and State Representative Robert Freeman re- released two studies last week on the impact of historic preservation investments on the economy and jobs creation. And this is one; re- these two reports are two reports in a series of reports that show how powerful historic preservation can be in terms of generating economic activity. The studies, the two studies in Pennsylvania, showed that private and public investments in historic preservation in the state's two largest cities totaled almost one point two billion dollars over five years. The report showed that from 2004 to 2009 historic preservation projects throughout the region have had a significant impact on the Pennsylvania economy. Uh, The impact is pretty significant. It showed with respect to $475 million overall investment in southwestern Pennsylvania that there was about $66 million in annual tax benefits generated in the form of annual wage tax revenue and annual property tax revenues. It also showed that in southwestern Pennsylvania there were 1,200 more housing units and over 5 million square feet of renovated space. They also created nearly 1,400 estimated construction jobs as well as over 3,000 permanent jobs. The report also noted that during the same period, from 2004 to 2009, the five counties of southeastern Pennsylvania saw 132 Federal Historic Preservation Investments, totaling $700 million in total investments. That $700 million in total investments generated over 1,500 new housing units. Of, of those, 350 were new affordable units. Now, supporters of a proposed state historic tax credit say that this report is evidence that if real estate developers that were interested in restoring older buildings were given the opportunity to combine the federal tax credit with the proposed state tax credit, then the number of jobs created and economic benefits to individual communities would grow considerably. So that brings me to what this proposed state historic tax credit would be. Uh, the, the proposed tax credit is part of the Historic Preservation Tax Incentive Act and it's been stalled in the Pennsylvania Senate for more than a year. Back in March of 2009, the House actually passed the bill, HB 42, and the bill provides a section of Revenue Code that would allow up to $15,000 for exterior rehabilitation of historic residences and, more significantly for the development community, state tax credits of up to $500,000 for rehabilitation of historic commercial properties. The bill also provided that priority would be given to certain properties in certain areas such as those in enterprise zones and historic districts. If you want to see a copy of either the two reports or you'd like to review HB 42, you can find them online at our website www.historictaxcredits.com. So my sixth item and final item for the week is to review the tax credit calendar. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, tomorrow at 5 o'clock Eastern Time the New Market Tax Credit Applications are due, So that's tomorrow, Wednesday, June 2nd. Also tomorrow, Wednesday, June 2nd, the Affordable Housing Tax Credit uh, Committee has their awards. That's the Affordable Housing Tax Credit Coalition, I should say, has their annual Affordable Housing Tax Credit Awards. They're the Charles Edson Tax Credit Awards. They're being given in Washington, D.C., and there's a lunchtime award ceremony. So if you're in Washington, D.C., you should swing by. Looking to next week, uh, June 9th, uh, there's a meeting by the Advisory Committee on Tax-Exempting Government Entities by the IRS. Uh, this is a committee that submits recommendations to the IRS Commissioner, Doug Schulman, and other senior executives at the IRS. The Internal Revenue Services Advisory Committee on Tax-Exempting Government Entities, or ACT, is an organized public forum for the IRS to receive regular input on exempt organization, employee plan, and government entity policy. The advisory committee itself consists of external stakeholders that get appointed by the Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, The ACT provides recommendations and operational policies and procedures in a wide area of tax-exempt items, including tax-exempt organizations and taxes and bonds. If you're interested in submitting a comment uh, with respect to Uh, how the IRS should be handling these matters, you can submit a written statement to Steve Pyrek. You can email him at steve, s-t-e-v-e dot j dot p-y-r-e-k at irs.gov or you can simply call 202- 283-9966. Also next week on June 9th, the Housing Advisory Group, uh, it's a advocacy group for the benefit of the Low Income Housing Tax Credit, is having its congressional forum its annual congressional forum. And if you're interested in learning more about that just send an email to cpas at novacode.com or you can go to the Boston Capital website and in the upper right click on about Boston Capital and then you'll see on the lower left a link to the Housing Advisory Group under the advocacy tab. On June 9th next week we also have the Novogradic pre-conference workshops with respect to the New Market Tax Credit. We have our June New Market Tax Credit NMTC Conference in D.C. on the 10th and 11th, and on the Wednesday before the 9th, we do two pre-conference sessions, one on compliance, and we do uh, one on the basics. So if you're interested in learning more about the basics or NMTC compliance, I suggest you send someone to our pre-conference workshop. Otherwise, we have our New Market Tax Credit Conference on the 10th and the 11th. We have over 100 people registered for our pre-conference workshops and more than 315 already registered, for the conference itself, and we expect to get an increase once the New Market Tax applications are filed on Wednesday. If you want to register for the conference, there's still time, just go to www.novocode.com slash events, or send an email to cpas at novocode.com. I'd also remind, on an ongoing basis, if you didn't get a chance to listen to our Rent and Income webinar, you can listen to a recording of it. Last week, we had a rent and income webinar that featured my partner, Jim Kroger, as well as Thomas Stagg and Peter Kahn from the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, and they reviewed the recently released HUD income numbers. Uh, In the webinar, they discussed how the 2010 limits affect projects. And I emphasize projects because given the, the various changes from HERA in 2008 to HUD doing away with the Hold Harmless rule, The calculation of rent and income limits is now done project by project. And projects within the same county can quite possibly have different income and rent limits. And even buildings within the same project can have different rent and income limits. So the complexity of calculating written income limits has never been greater in the Long-term Housing Tax Credit Program. And obviously, if you charge too high a rent or rent to too high an income tenant, you can end up causing recapture of your tax credits. So I'd encourage uh, all of our listeners involved in the Long-Terminning Tax Credit Program to ensure that those within their organizations responsible for tax credit compliance take a moment and watch our webinar recording on the rent and income uh, releases. The Novogratz Company Rent and Income Limit Calculator should be made available shortly, and it'll be a very valuable tool in double-checking rent and income calculations. Towards the end of June, June 22nd to the 25th, the National Council of State Housing Agency will be holding its 2010 Housing Credit Conference and Marketplace. Uh, those of you interested in the Income Housing Tax Credit Program are aware of this, pro- of this conference, I'm sure, as it's an annual conference and is the f- flagship conference in the industry. Uh, I'll be there on a number of panels as well other either uh, and company professionals current with the NCSHA, National Council of State Housing Agencies Conference, the Affordable Housing Investors Council will be having their summer meeting. And they do every summer they do their meeting in connection with the NCSHA marketplace. So that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Uh, the four topics for next week will include a summary of the financial services bill as to how it will be affecting the tax credit community. I also am going to walk through the remaining calendar, as well as what items Congress has to cover during the remaining portion of this year. Once Congress comes back next week, they'll have a few weeks, and then the July 4th recess will begin. And then once the July 4th recess ends, they'll then be in the balance of July, anxious to get out for the August recess that carries them through Labor Day to the August or the Labor Day recess, and then they'll be back for the uh, balance of September, and then in October they'll be anxious to get out of town in order to run for re-election in November. That leads to a very compressed schedule and a whole host of items they have to cover. More details on that next week. Next week I also want to cover proposed legislation in Massachusetts that would require the state to disclose the names of all refundable of all recipients of refundable tax credits. Then I also want to discuss a proposed two-year moratorium on tax credits, state tax credits in Oklahoma. Uh, both uh, Hawaii and New York have been given a lot of attention to moratoriums on state tax credits, previously allocated state tax credits. Now Oklahoma has a bill on Governor Brad Henry's desk that's awaiting a signature. As of Friday, May 28th, he hadn't signed it. More details on that next week. I'd also like to encourage our listeners to send us feedback on these podcasts, ways to make them more useful to you. So simply send those emails to michael.novogradic at novaco.com or cps at novoco.com. And I'd also like to encourage you to suggest to your friends to listen to the podcast. If you find them useful, please share that with others. And until next week, you can follow me on Twitter. This is Michael Novogradic, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.